well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. When I was a junior in high school, something happened to me that I don't think many people thought would ever happen. I know I, at some point, was thinking it was never going to happen. Um, even my parents, I think, were surprised and shocked. Uh, my junior year of high school, I got a girlfriend. And so I, I got a girlfriend. Her name was Whitney. And we dated for a while in high school. We actually dated throughout my junior year and senior year. So two years we were together. And it got to a point, especially when you're in high school, like you kind of think these things are, are more serious than maybe they are. But I began to think in, in my head, like, well, maybe this is really serious. We were both planning after graduation to go to Harding. And so you start to think, like, well, what could be from this? What, what, what might come? And so we dated for a while. She actually lived about 40 minutes away. We met at a church camp. She attended my uncle's church. He was the youth minister. And I had a cousin that was my age I was pretty close to. So most weekends I'd go and, and see her on those weekends. And so we had this pretty serious relationship. Towards the end of my senior year, her, her parents were going to take a trip to Orlando to go to Universal Studios. And they decided as a graduation present, they were going to bring me along. And so we lived in Memphis. And so they bought me a plane ticket and they bought me tickets to the park and I was going to go with their family on this trip. Now, this was a few months that they planned this before graduation. Well, graduation comes, I go on this trip and Whitney's acting kind of weird on the trip. I'm beginning to think like something's just kind of off. We get back from the trip. I get home that evening of the trip and I remember this very vividly. I go into the kitchen and I make myself a bowl of ice cream. I even remember the flavor. It was Rocky Road ice cream. So I have this bowl of Rocky Road ice cream. I take it upstairs to my bedroom and I put it on my desk. I'm about to take a bite and the phone rings. Now I was explaining this to some of the teenagers yesterday that I didn't have a cell phone. And it used to be that not everybody in the house had a cell phone. There used to be these things like a home phone. And so the phone in our home started to ring. And I had a phone in my room. It was next to my bed. It even had a cord attached to it. And so my mom answers the phone and she calls up to me and says, hey, Whitney's on the phone. And so I put down my spoon and I go over and I answer the phone and I can tell things are not good. And Whitney tells me over the phone, which is kind of kind of lame, by the way, but over the phone, she tells me, hey, this isn't working out. We're going to have to break up. And so we talk for a little while. I'm pretty quiet on the phone and I was kind of devastated and just kind of in my mind thinking about all these things and how, how devastating that this was. And so we talked for a little while. I hang up the phone. And I remember this so clearly. I walked back over to my desk and I looked down at my bowl of ice cream and it was completely melted. And I was just like, this is a picture of how I feel right now, this melted bowl of ice cream. And that summer ended up being kind of a, a difficult summer for me in some ways. Uh, I think it was the next day, which was Sunday, I get to church, and I was pretty active in my youth group. And that Sunday, my youth minister was acting kind of weird, and he announced to us that he was moving. I was like, this is the worst weekend ever. And so, just really, like, disappointed. I, I felt like a lot of uncertainty. And that summer, I also had a job. My summer job was, I was the cart guy at Target. And so, 
if you're unfamiliar with what the cart guy does, it's kind of complicated. He goes and he collects all the carts. And so I had this remote and I had this little machine cart that I'd go around and I'd stack the carts on it and then I'd wheel it around with me, be nice to the cart guy at Target. And so I did this all summer long. And as the cart guy at Target, I spent a lot of time of that summer just wandering the Target parking lot alone and really just kind of thinking a lot. And it became this this summer of just time to myself to think. And at first, it was this summer, it was this season of like uncomfortableness and uncertainty. The things that I had planned out for myself in my mind weren't really going the way that I had hoped that they would. And it started to become more of a season of evaluation. I was really kind of evaluating my life and what I wanted to have happen next. And then eventually, as the summer went on, it kind of turned into a summer of me spending a lot of time talking to God. And looking back on that summer of working in the Target parking lot, it was actually this really like transformative season of my life where at one point it was like, what's happening? This is awful. I hate this. To now it's this time of, okay, this is who I want to be. I want to make these changes in my life. God, I want you to work in my life in this way. And maybe this is actually this great opportunity. And so what started as a season of uncomfortableness and loneliness and uncertainty became this important time of evaluation. I think the past year has been kind of a season of uncomfortableness and uncertainty, maybe loneliness. And my hope is that as this season has gone on and on, and and here we are, we find ourselves still in this season of uncertainty, that it starts to change into a season of evaluation where we evaluate our purpose and direction. Those things that maybe brought us purpose and meaning in life, maybe we can't have those things right now. And so it forces us to think about who we are and the path that we're on. And maybe this season of uncertainty that's transitioned to a season of evaluation starts to become a season of transformation in our life. We start to transform and become maybe the type of person that we should be. Hopefully, we've been able to spend this time going to God. And maybe at first it's this expression of frustration. Why is this happening? And it starts to change into an expression of God, use me. Use this time in my life. This past few weeks we've been in a sermon series called This is the Way and looking at what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus had a ton of followers. As he grew his ministry, people would flock to him to hear what he would say. And so this morning, I want us to look together in a passage where a large group of followers comes to hear from Jesus. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles, turn to John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6. And there's a couple parts of John chapter 6 that you would be really familiar with. The beginning of John chapter 6, we see this huge crowd come to hear the teachings of Jesus. Word about him is spread. People hear about the miracles that he's done. And there's about 5,000 people in the crowd. And maybe you kind of already know what's going to happen next. Jesus speaks to them all day long. And Jesus realizes, because he's Jesus, he realizes that, man, people are starting to get kind of hungry. And so he asks his disciples, he says, what what are we going to do? Like, what can the people do for food here? Philip, who's with him, says, listen, Lord, it's it would take eight months wages just to give everybody a bite. Andrew, one of his other disciples, says, listen, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but there's a kid here who has a sack lunch of five loaves and two fishes. Jesus takes this, as maybe you're familiar with, he takes this small meal and he performs this miracle and he feeds 
everybody. He feeds everybody to where they're completely full, and in fact, they're so full that there are leftovers. Then everybody camps out. They stay the night. What happens next is Jesus' disciples, Jesus sends them across the body of water there. Jesus walks out onto the water to them. It's this huge moment, and you know, this miracle that Jesus performs, and then they go and they camp on the other side. Well, the people, the crowd, they wake up, and guess what? When they wake up, they're hungry. And so they look around, and they're wondering where their meal ticket is. Where's Jesus? Is he going to perform another miracle? Is he going to feed us again? And so they're looking for them, and in John chapter 6, starting in verse 25, they catch up with Jesus, and here's what it says. It should be on the screen as well. It says, when they found him on the other side, Rabbi... When did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Jesus points out to them, listen, I I know why you're here. You're not here for me. You're here for what you think I'm going to give you. You're not here even because of my miracles or my teachings. You're here because you're looking for some food to eat. And so he goes on in verse 27, he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? What do we need to do to get this food you're talking about? Verse 29, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Then in verse 30, So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I just find this funny to me that this crowd, they're quoting scripture at Jesus and they're trying to almost manipulate things a little bit. Be like, well, maybe you should give us a sign. Maybe do that meal thing with the bread and the fish. Why don't you do that again? Verse 32, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then verse 34, sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, and listen to this. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And so Jesus here, he calls himself the bread of life. And we've maybe heard that before, but to me, it's important that we connect it to what's going on in the story here. You see this crowd, they are coming to Jesus to get bread, but they're not looking for the kind of bread that Jesus is. They're wanting what they think Jesus can give them. They're not looking to follow Jesus. They want what Jesus is offering and so Jesus is trying to point them out. No, it's not, it's not the bread that you want. It's the bread that you want. And he says, I am the bread of life. Sometimes I think that instead of wanting Jesus, we want what we think following Jesus will give to us. There's a story that I've told before, maybe not in here. I can't really remember. And so if I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry. If there's teenagers in here, you definitely have heard this before. But years ago, I went to the mall with my son, Ethan, and my wife. And I did what fathers and sons do when you go to the mall with your wife. We're sitting on a bench outside the store. And so we're sitting on the bench, and there's another father and another son sitting near us. And they have a cookie, and they're sharing this cookie together. Father breaks off a piece of the cookie, gives it to the son. He eats it. 
another piece of the cookie, eats it, eventually runs out of cookie. And so the son wants more cookie and starts crying out, I want more cookie, I want more cookie, I want more cookie. And the father's like, I don't have any more cookies, trying to calm him down. And eventually the son starts crying out for something else, for someone else. Eventually the son starts crying out for who? For his mom. I want my mom. I want my mommy. I want my mommy. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking a couple things. One, thank goodness this is not us. The second thing I'm thinking is, does this kid really want his mom? Does he really want his mom? Or does the kid want what he thinks his mom can give him? He wants the cookie, right? And so he's going to call out, he's going to cry out, not for his mom because he wants his mom, but because he wants what he thinks his mom can give him. Sometimes I believe this is what we do when it comes to following Jesus. Instead of crying out for Jesus, instead of crying out for the bread of life, we're crying out for bread. Instead of crying out for following Jesus and saying, Jesus, you are enough, we're following Jesus because we want the cookie. We want what we think Jesus will give to us instead of wanting Jesus. And so Jesus is having this conversation with this crowd that's following him. And so he says this to them. He says, you're coming here looking for bread. I am the bread. I am the way. You need to be committed to me. And so they have this conversation. It continues. And then I want us to pick up in verse 60 of John chapter 6 as they wrap up this conversation. It says, on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And then in verse 65, he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. And then listen to what happens in verse 66. Notice what people decide to do. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And I've read that before and I recognize what's happening there. But one thing that we don't read, one thing that we don't see, is when this group of followers turns back and turns away from Jesus, notice Jesus doesn't chase after them. I sort of want Jesus to chase after them, to call them back. No, don't turn away. Come back. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't try to soften his message. He doesn't try to make it more appealing. He doesn't, he doesn't send disciples out with creative handouts, advertising an ice cream social Sunday event, right? He's not trying to do any of those things. Because to Jesus, it wasn't the size of the crowd that mattered as much as it was the size of their commitment. Jesus wanted committed followers. Jesus wanted people that were committed to the way of following him. And it's not easy. It's sometimes uncomfortable. Sometimes it's extremely difficult. But we have to decide, is Jesus enough? That's the question that he's asking his followers there. I believe that's the question he's asking us. Is the way of Jesus enough? Even if nothing else is going right, even if we find ourselves in uncertainty and difficulty, is Jesus enough? And so Jesus has this conversation with the followers. Sometimes I think for us, we have good intentions. We try to make following Jesus, following the way as attractive as possible because we want as many people to find eternal life as possible. 
I know I try to do this with the youth group and with teenagers. We want people to follow Jesus. And so we try to do whatever we can. I think we're called to do whatever we can to get people to follow him. But sometimes when we do this, instead of actually offering Jesus, we're just handing out a lot of samples of free bread. We're making it more about the cookie or the bread than we are about the bread of life. Let me give another example for this. So imagine I have three kids. My middle child is my daughter, Emma Jane. She does not know I'm giving this example about her, but it's okay. Uh, so Emma Jane is six. Let's say years from now, okay, let's say she's 25 or 30 or 35, and she comes to me, and Emma Jane says, Dad, I really want to get married. Can you help me find someone to get married? I don't imagine she would do this. But she says, can you help me find someone to get married? Well, I decide I'm going to help her. And so I pay for a bunch of ads on TV. I put ads on Facebook. Let's say I create billboards all around town advertising my daughter. Let's say I make shirts and print them up advertising her. Maybe I offer gifts and incentives and prizes for those that are interested in applying to marry my daughter. Would that be weird? Yes, that would be weird, right? And in fact, like you probably would think, that's ridiculous, Andrew. No one should do that. No father should do that. And in fact, part of the reason it would be so weird is because it would feel like I would just be doing her a favor or this person would be doing her a favor. It would cheapen the relationship because you would always wonder, do they really love her? Or are they just loving the things that come from that relationship? In fact, as her father, I'd probably do the opposite, right? I would make it more challenging. I would have an application process, lie detector tests. I'd be going back uh, on Facebook and Instagram history to see what posts they'd like. And I'd be doing everything I can to make this as challenging as possible. Why? Because I want to know that they are fully committed to her. I want to know that they're not just in it for the things that come from the relationship, but that they are committed and love her. I want to know that they'd be prepared to give everything that they have. I don't want to just hear that they love her. I want to know that they are fully committed. I want to know that they would give their life for her. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, when it comes to following Jesus, we need to be so committed that we are in it for Jesus and not what we think following Jesus will get us. There's one more passage that I want to look at together, and it's over in Isaiah chapter 30. And in Isaiah chapter 30, Part of what's happening here is the prophet Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is rebuking, is getting on to Judah because Judah has been looking to Egypt for deliverance. And so the first part of that chapter, the first 17 verses, it's a lot of judgment from God on their behavior and their attitude. Things aren't going well for the people of Judah. And so God is getting on to them for this. But then in verse 18 of Isaiah 30, it says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. And then listen to what is said in verse 20. I think we have this on the screen. It says, Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, Your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. This idea of bread comes up here again. But this bread is a bread of adversity. It feels like we're in a situation right now. We've got this bread of adversity, this challenges that we're facing. The people of God here in Isaiah 30, they are 
taking this bread of adversity, this water of affliction. They're going through a really difficult time. And notice what God says next about it. It's in this moment of adversity and affliction and difficulty that this happens in verse 21. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Sometimes it is during these seasons of uncertainty and uncomfortableness and loneliness that it turns into a season of evaluation, evaluation for ourselves and what's important. And it's in these times of self-evaluation where we have a choice that we can make. We can turn to the right or to the left in this season of adversity, or we can hear the voice that's challenging us and encouraging us to go the way of Christ. And to recognize that even if we get are given nothing else in this life, even if nothing else goes right for us, even if it is a lifetime of adversity, that Jesus is enough. That the way of Jesus is enough. That's what the people of God needed to see in Isaiah chapter 30 as they go through this difficult time. That's what the followers of Jesus needed to see in John chapter 6 as Jesus is challenging them to realize that he is the bread of life. And I believe that's what we see need to see this morning as well. That no matter what we're going through during this season of difficulty and loneliness, that we can evaluate our relationship with God and see that he is the way and that Jesus is enough. This morning, maybe you're here and maybe lately Jesus hasn't been enough for you. Maybe you've been more focused on the things that following Jesus you thought were going to give, give you, but maybe they haven't. Maybe things have not been going well for you and it's caused you to grow distant and turn to the left or the right in your path of following Jesus. And maybe you need to get back on track. Maybe you need to recommit yourself to following Jesus and to saying that Jesus is enough. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a follower of Jesus for the very first time and make that statement that he is enough by becoming a Christian and being baptized into Christ. Whatever need you have this morning, we want to offer you a chance to respond to this invitation as together we stand and sing.